and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. Today, it's week three NBA overreactions. We're just making this a thing, Bryce. I'm super excited about it. We're going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. We're going to talk about the Houston Rockets, the Utah Jazz, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Then, because college basketball started up this past week and weekend in earnest, we're going to do a couple of NBA draft overreactions as well. Bryce, what's going on, buddy? What's up, Sam? Man, I had a really good day yesterday. The whole fam and I went to the gym, and my, my wife is a college basketball player as well, and so or was, not is. So we both played college basketball. So we take our three young kids, and we go to the gym, and, and they're shooting hoops, and my wife's working with our daughter, and I'm working with our son, and vice versa. And then Sam, the little one, has a softball helmet on, football gloves, and he wants to play catch with the football instead of shoot hoops. So it, we, we got two out of the three, but it was a very cool experience for our family to get in the gym together. I love that you're getting a chance to get in the gym together. I love that you're just going for it, right? That's great. I love that you have kids that are all in on it. That's always the best part of it, right? My brother has kids, like his brother loves, or his son loves baseball. Like it's the best. It's fantastic. It's got to be a great feeling to be all about that. Absolutely. And it was a good break from watching all of these games. I was listening to you talk um, a couple episodes ago and you were talking about how you're starting to get a little nervous because it's tough, Sam. We, we try to keep up on all these NBA teams and all these NBA games, and now all these NBA draft, overseas, college, Ignite. It's a lot. I got two or three games in the queue right now. I got some I want to watch live tonight. And so it's just, it's endless. It's over and over. There's always a game to watch right now, which is great, but it can be a little overwhelming. So it's good to just put the computer away and get out with the family and spend some time together. But of course, it was still basketball related. Yeah, I watched four this morning. I watched a couple of Bucks games. I watched uh, one Houston game, and then I watched Tennessee Wisconsin from the weekend in college. Uh, you and I were texting about Dalton Connect, which was yep. really really fun. Uh, Dalton Connect had a really fun game yep. against the Wisconsin Badgers. A lot of awesome, very translatable moments on offense. Some questions on defense that we'll get around to at some point when we talk about Dalton. But I had a really, really great time watching that one because the previous night I had watched Virginia, Florida. And my goodness, we will talk about that as our last segment today. Sam, how different were our mornings, though? I sent you a picture of my morning compared to your morning. So uh, our our mornings were a little bit different uh, Sunday here and and Monday for you. Bryce, overnight, I wake up, Bryce sends me a photo, and it's just like a bunch of cows in a field. And I'm just like, yeah, you're in Kansas. Like, we, we are definitely still in Kansas anymore. It's not that we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, I was like, I got to send this to Sam. I, I always enjoy this because I have so many friends and relationships now that are more city folk and all of that. You know, people that maybe all the have, city folk. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you have experienced this stuff, but I, I don't know. I shouldn't judge. Maybe you, maybe you grew up on a farm, and no, I just don't know. But absolutely I, not. <laughs> I just like to share it with people. Just like, hey, this is my life today, and it's only a small part of my life. But I just thought it'd be fun to send you that picture. So. It's amazing. It's so good. It's so, so incredible. Uh, okay. You want to get into overreactions? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Overreaction number one, the Milwaukee Bucks made a significant mistake firing Mike Budenholzer and hiring Adrian Griffin. Uh, Bryce, I watched a couple of these games today. I I do think it was a mistake. Uh, 
I want to say that, but I'm actually a little bit more worried about some of the uh, roster-based concerns with Milwaukee, uh, even maybe beyond. I don't know. It goes hand in hand. Where are you at on this, Bryce? Yeah, I mean, I'm always going to take the side of a coach because I am a coach or was a coach. And so I always try to be a little bit more understanding. And I will say I saw him make a really good decision in one of the games I watched when they played the Pistons. And of course, the Pistons have no business being in the game with the Bucks, but Giannis did get ejected in that game and Dame struggled until late. And then he went Dame time in the fourth. But Adrian Griffin went to like a three quarter court zone press back to a zone and it completely stifled the Detroit Pistons offense. Now we've talked about the Pistons offense and I realize it can be stifled regardless, but I thought that was a really good decision. I just think that there's some roster things they got to figure out as well. Two of their losses, these last two, Sam, are without Damian Lillard. I believe the first loss was without Middleton. Middleton's not even averaging 20 minutes a game. And Dame, I think, is averaging career lows in points, field goal percentage, assists, all of that stuff. I don't think he's found his footing yet with the Bucks. Now, if that's Adrian Griffin's fault, if somebody can say that's a scheme thing, and I assume we'll talk the Dame, Giannis, ball screen stuff in just a second – but, you know, if that's on Griffin, then okay. But I don't know that we've seen these players play the best. And then the depth took a hit. The defense took a hit. I, I don't like the scheme that he implemented with the roster, though. And the whole, like, Brooke Lopez wasn't going to play and drop until five or six games into the season didn't make a lot of sense to me. But I'm going to give him a few more games to figure out his team in this roster. Yeah, there are some really big flashing red warning signs with Griffin. And part of this is that he was, he's replacing one of the like five or six best coaches in the NBA and Mike Budenholzer, in my opinion, Budenholzer, you know, we can talk all about the lack of adjustments. We can talk about this. We can talk about that, but Budenholzer devised a scheme for Giannis Antetokounmpo and this defense that made the Milwaukee Bucks a perennial contender. Like, you can say what you want, but like the Jason Kidd era was not as successful in Milwaukee. Obviously, Giannis improved over the course of his time after Jason Kidd was there, but I don't think they would have been as good with Jason Kidd as they were with Mike Budenholzer. And I think that what we're seeing is that it's going to be difficult for them to be as good with Adrian Griffin. Having said that, some of the roster issues that they're having are real, like the Malik Beasley, I'm sorry, he's not a starting caliber NBA player. And he's not your defensive stopper on the perimeter, Sam. That's what he's trying to be right now. Yeah, and like that's where like some of the weird stuff with like Griffin comes in where they're like, "Oh yeah, like we think Malik Beasley can be a defensive stopper and we're not going to play drop and we're going to do this and we're going to do that." And it's just like, "Well, no, like you have Marjon Beauchamp and Andre Jackson, both of whom like that's the role that they can play. Like they can go out and they can be super high level defenders. If I was them, I would be starting frankly, probably Andre Jackson. Once Damian Lillard comes back and you can have a chance to like have a semblance of spacing around these guys. I do think that the roster right now is probably a bigger issue because at the end of the day, this is a roster that should be playing drop. They should be playing hyper conservative basketball, Right. Just straight up like that. That's yeah. what they should be doing on defense. They should be playing probably a more conservative scheme than anybody. And in some respects, they are doing that. They are still forcing more mid-range jumpers than any team in the NBA right now per game, 
which is really a good sign. They, I think, are allowing fewer shots at the rim than all but like two teams, three teams in the league. So you look at the shot chart outside of the three-point line, and you're like, well, this isn't going disastrously. You just like watch them, and it feels like they don't have a lot of synergy. And the reason that I think they don't have a lot of synergy is the backcourt defensively. Like you have Malik Beasley who can't really get over screens. You have Damian Lillard who is, you know, in his seven games, which is not very good defensively. Like we can call that out. It's okay. Yep. Uh, Pat Connaughton. I, like I assumed that like the preseason was just going to be like a blip for Pat Connaughton. Uh, he has not been great on either end of the court so far. So, I kind of like look at what is happening in Milwaukee and part of what made them so successful was the ability to play and drop, have drew holiday previously have Eric Bledsoe fight over the top of screens, get these rear view contests, speed up these ball handlers from behind, make it. So when you go over and drop, you're feeding into these mid range shots that are even more contested. The thing is that even though Milwaukee is giving up more mid range shots than anybody in the league, they're allowing teams to shoot 47% on them, which, you know, that's still only 0.94 shots per possession, right? That's fine. But if a lot of those are later in the shot clock shots, right? When you're just trying to get a good opportunity, that number's higher than where you want it in those circumstances. So you would expect essentially that these teams, they should be able to, the Bucks should be able to try and force more difficult shots. And even though they are getting teams to shoot where they want, I think that it's it's a little bit harder for the Bucks to actually defend those shots in the way they want to, if that makes sense. Well, I wonder if they're giving up easier shots because they're taking more chances. And whenever you take a chance, you're more out yeah. of position to contest those shots. So just some of the numbers to back up what we've talked about so far. They're 25th in defensive rating right now, 116.5. They were fourth last year, 110.9. And Adrian Griffin, it's been said on broadcast over and over, they want to be more aggressive. They want to force more turnovers. So the opponent turnover percentage this year is 14.3. Last season, it was 11.6. So it has gone up, but it hasn't transformed translated to better defense and then the other aspect is the offense hasn't been really any better and we knew there was going to be a little bit of a trade-off but the hope was the offense would make up for that so here's my question then Sam is Adrian Griffin quote-unquote a bad head coach or is he just a bad head coach for this roster was there a mistake in we hired Adrian Griffin when we had Drew Holiday, maybe it would – I don't know they would have made sense with Drew Holiday. It probably still doesn't. But then we dra- trade for Damian Lillard. This system defensively could work with some rosters. Does it just not work with this roster? And Adrian Griffin just needs to be able to adjust rather quickly here in his tenure in Milwaukee. Well, and look, to answer your question, I, I haven't yet seen – a lot that makes me think Adrian Griffin is like a good coach. I'm not going to sit here and say he's a bad coach. I haven't seen much to say that this is going to be good though, I guess. And, and by the way, like Zawad Khan in the comments brings up, like I have too much Raptors PTSD to enjoy this defensive scheme. Like this isn't that 
early on in the season, at least, it wasn't that far off from what the Raptors were doing. They were trying to heat up the ball handler. They're playing super aggressive, right? Like that's what the Raptors did. The difference between the Bucks and the Raptors is personnel. Like the Raptors have all of these dudes, OG Ananobi. You had Fred Van Vliet, who is not big, but is hyper aggressive and is very good at fighting over screens. Uh, that's dropped off a little bit, but not that much, as we'll talk about with Houston later. Um, you know, you had Scotty Barnes, you have Pascal Siakam, you have all of these dudes. Milwaukee, the only guy that they really have that's great at this is Giannis. Giannis is super long, super active. He's the only person that fits like the Toronto Raptors player archetype of super long, super athletic, everything like that. So the you brought up the defensive rating. They're sitting at like 116, 117 or whatever. Uh, if you just look at the last four games, basically, since Milwaukee made that shift to a drop scheme again, right? The defensive rating is still 117. Like they're not getting stops. And oh, by the way, in that game against the Magic, they just like did not play Brooke Lopez or Malik Beasley in the fourth quarter. Uh, Eric Name asked Adrian Griffin about that after, and he said, I was trying to find some energy into the game and just looked at, see what we got with young guys for a minute. And they were playing so well and so hard that I just rolled with them. And then by the time I was thinking about getting Brooke back in, the game was kind of out of reach. So I didn't want to put him back in, in that position, but I thought our young guys play with tremendous energy. Yada, yada, yada. Right. I think you got to run with the young guys here for a minute and see what you got is where I'm at with the bucks. The other aspect of this, we spent a lot of time talking about defense. I do want to shift to offense real quick. That Chris Middleton only played like 19 minutes in that game against Orlando is like a really big morning sign to me, not on Adrian Griffin's part, but more on the part of Chris Middleton's health, because you would think that the games where Lillard does not play would be the ones where you have to rely on Chris Middleton to go get the offense going. Right. So for him to only be getting like 19 minutes or whatever he played in that game, like that's a real that that's a worry to me. Right. Yeah, it has to be. And that's what he's averaging this year. It seems like they are not comfortable with him going over that 20 minute mark. Like there may be a couple of games somebody could point out where it was more than that. But the box scores I looked at specifically, it seemed like it was 19 and that's all we're doing. We talked about this, Sam, when we talked about the trade. And the first thing I brought up was, well, what about defensively? And then we talked about Middleton is going to be back. Hopefully he's healthy. But if Middleton isn't, and I know there's ifs here, but if Middleton is truly aging with the injuries and those things, this team isn't nearly as good. Like There was a definite X factor in terms of him being healthy this year for the defensive purposes, but also offensively. And then I want to touch on real quick, we talked about you know Griffin doing some interesting things. I made a note when they played the Knicks, at one point in the game, they had all three of Dame, Middleton, Giannis on the bench. It drives me absolutely insane when you have three good players and all three of them are on the bench. Like I get so frustrated whenever NBA coaches don't stagger their best players. I know you want them on the floor together, but you also have to utilize them and stagger them in a way that the other team can't go on a run or play without one of those guys pressuring them. So that's just a, a little thing, quote unquote, that stood out to me whenever I was watching that Knicks game. Yeah. So to put a bow and we haven't even talked about like the ball screen stuff yet <laughs> with like Giannis and Dame. I mean, they just like, aren't running them. Like to me, like if I was trying to get these two integrated and like get them going, right. Like I'd be like, yeah, we need to get as many reps for these guys in live game situations as possible. Not 
relying on other factors, right? Yeah, no, I looked up the numbers. It's at 8.3% this season when Giannis is in pick and roll. That's up a little bit from the previous three seasons. I think you touched on it a couple episodes. Maybe Giannis isn't comfortable in it. I know it sounds crazy that somebody as good as Giannis may not want to do that, but we've seen NBA players who haven't wanted to do certain things. And I don't know if people understand this or not. I don't mean to like insult anybody, but different areas of the floor make players uncomfortable. Like for me playing at a much lower level, but the division one level, I hated playing on the baseline. It made me very uncomfortable playing down there. I was much more comfortable being up on the wing at the top of the key in those areas. Maybe Giannis doesn't like the pick and roll where you catch and you can't see the defense and then you have to stop your, maybe he doesn't like it. Maybe he's not comfortable with it at least yet. But to your point, if this is going to be a thing, they've got to get game reps at it. And I feel like they should just be over and over and over again, running it until they figure it out. But yeah, it, it, that was the thing, right? The trade, how are you going to stop Dame and Giannis? And it just hasn't proven to be a thing right now. Yeah. I mean, look, like the way that that works with Damon Giannis is by running Damon Giannis ball screens, right? Or by like running pick and pops with Brooke Lopez and Dame and having Brooke pop and then having Giannis like in the dunker spot or something like that for drop offs, etc. I just feel like we haven't seen a whole lot of interesting actions yet involving Damian Lillard and Giannis or invert it, right? Like that's the whole point of having Giannis on is he can handle the ball and then Damian's going to invert it and he's going to screen or ghost and pop. We see Steph Curry do some actions like this at times. What, what are defenses going to do against that? So yeah, get creative with these two. But I think the point is those two working together. And I know we're not going to talk about the Clippers, but I've watched a couple of the Clippers games. They, those guys don't know how to play together. None of the actions yeah. are them playing together right now. And I realize it's early for both teams, even more so for the Clippers. You have to find ways to incorporate your best players in actions together where they both can be aggressive or three of them can be aggressive. How many ever you have? Yeah. I mean, this is how LeBron and Anthony Davis work together, right? Like the LeBron Anthony Davis one five ball screen was a monster. In the playoffs. And by the way, the Lakers in that year where they won the title, they played Anthony Davis a lot at the four. So you can go one, four ball screens and have your five man out there. Now I know the playoffs, like they played a lot more Dame at the foot or uh, Davis at the five. But if this is going to work in Milwaukee, it's going to be built around the Dame Giannis two man game. Yes. So you need to start doing it now. So to answer the overreaction here in terms of where we're starting, I think there are significant roster questions that need to be answered. They need to go find somebody who can defend at the point of attack. They need to go find somebody who can not be Malik Beasley as a defensive stopper. Uh, maybe it's Andre Jackson. Maybe it's Marjan Beauchamp remains to be seen. I think there are real substantial roster questions. None bigger than Chris Middleton. Yeah. Like Chris Middleton, hopefully he is healthy. Hopefully he can get into the rhythm and flow and everything. It seems like based on all reporting, it's still just rest right now. We will see if that continues to be the case. But I think it's a real downgrade, at least based off of what I've seen from Mike Budenholzer to Adrian Griffin, even if there are real tangible concerns uh, in the other aspects of how the Milwaukee Bucks are building this. 
Yeah, there's real concerns. I'll hold off on completely buying this for a little bit larger of a sample, but there's plenty of tangible things to be nervous about right now. And I also want to point, we're talking about holding the bucks to the standard of championship level teams. I want everybody to understand that as well. And nowhere are we talking about them not being a good team. They're over 500 right now, but the standard is championship level contender. And I don't think there should be any argument about that's the standard they should be held to based off what they've done and the moves they've made. That's the only standard that we can hold the bucks to right now. So I just want to quickly point that out that we're not saying they stink, but are they championship level? They're not playing at it right now. It doesn't look like any aspect of their game is at that level. Okay. Overreaction number two. Even though the Timberwolves have not quite figured out the blend of Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert together on the offensive end, the Timberwolves are still legitimate contenders in the Western Conference. Uh, I'll give you the floor, Bryce. Contenders to do what? Give me some context here. Let's say make the conference finals. Because <sighs> that would be the- over. That'd be over the you know Denver. One of the Denver Nuggets, Golden State Warriors, uh, you know Los Angeles Lakers, Dallas Mavericks, Phoenix Suns, L.A. Clippers. Like they would be making it over at least one of those, or over many of those teams, I guess, in theory. I am buying the Minnesota Timberwolves being a top four regular season team in the West. And you could probably talk me into higher. I am selling them being Western Conference Finals contenders as much as I really love some of the players on this team. I've fallen in love with Jaden McDaniels. And I have fallen in love with Anthony Edders. I love those two dudes. And I even think those two guys actually fit really well with Rudy Gobert. So I really love this team. This is no slight to the Timberwolves. I just, how can I say that I trust them in the playoffs? I I just, I can't say that with an honest face right now. So as much as I enjoy watching them, as much as I think they're going to win a lot of regular season games, if they stay healthy, I don't think in a playoff series, they're going to get there. And so I have to sell this in the context that we're talking about it. So let's just give some context in terms of the numbers right now. The Minnesota Timberwolves have like a league average offense and have the best defensive rating in the NBA. Uh, Their defensive rating right now is 100.8. According to basketball reference, that is five points better than anybody in the NBA. That is an obscene defensive rating. They have been unbelievable on that end. And oh, by the way, this isn't based on them playing like an easier schedule. Like we'll talk about the Rockets. I think the Rockets have played like a little bit of an easier schedule so far. But like, I don't think their schedule has been that easy. Like they have beaten the Nuggets. They have beaten the Celtics. They have beaten the Pelicans by 20. They've beaten the Miami Heat. Uh, The Atlanta Hawks, they have lost to. The Hawks are pretty good, I think. So like they're are real legitimate reasons, not just based on schedule, not just based on anything to buy into this. And it starts on defense. The combination of Rudy Gobert and Jaden McDaniels, I think so far has been unbelievable. They they have been two of the like five or six best defensive players in the league, in my opinion, at this point, uh, Rudy Gobert is like completely shutting everything down in the paint. He is back to his like defensive player of the year 
best, it feels like to me, in terms of protecting the rim. But Jaden McDaniels, just in terms of like one-on-one shutdown ability, help defense, flying around, scrambling, doing everything he can for the team. I feel like he has been just absolutely unbelievable to this point. Yeah, he's been incredible. And, and the argument for, or I guess against what I just said is, you have a bona fide superstar in Anthony Edwards. You have that defense, and we also, you know, defense wins. And they're 20th in pace. The reason I like to look at pace is we all know the game slows down in the playoffs. So it's not like this offense is based solely on a team that's top five in pace, and they're turning this really good defense into transition. They're just playing faster than everybody. And then when they play the Nuggets in the playoffs, the game's going to slow down and they're going to get crushed, right? They're playing at 20th pace. And so they're performing well at league average offensively playing in the half court quite a bit. And again, you have a guy like Anthony Edwards that can go get a bucket in a variety of situations. I got to give Jaden McDaniels a shout out offensively. So the Celtics put Porzingis on him, Sam, and pretty much said, don't go guard him. They actually started Drew Holiday on cat. I think what the Celtics do defensively is really intriguing with who they, because then they put Drew Holiday on Joel Embiid the next night. But anyway, so McDaniel starts off awful. Missed like three wide open threes, a mid-range pull up in the first six minutes. He may have made one, but the confidence stayed throughout the game. The defense stayed throughout the game. And then late in the game, hits a huge three under six minutes, another one under two minutes, and then down three when they were down three, and then the game ceiling mid-range with under 20 seconds. Like that's where true confidence shows. If you can miss those shots early in a game and then make them in the most important part of the game, that's a guy I believe in come playoff time. So again, if you want to make a counter to this team can win in the playoffs, that's the type of game that shows this kid may have it offensively when it really matters against one of the best teams in the East. He was horrible to start offensively kept defending and then made clutch buckets when he needed to. And Ant had like three assists late in that game as well. So he's distributing the ball as well as scoring it. I really like what Mike Conley just like continues to play yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. Like Mike Conley is just like such a perfect offensive engine kind of for this team. Uh, if you look at what Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert have done together on the court for the Minnesota Timberwolves, basically since Mike Conley's addition to the Minnesota Timberwolves late last season at the trade deadline. They've basically been good since they've gotten Mike Conley. Uh, that, that feels like a really underrated piece. I know that like he doesn't average, he averages like four and a half assists per game, right? He averages, uh, you know, like 10 points. It's nothing crazy. But if you look in the 800 minutes, 813 minutes they've played together, the Timberwolves have a 5.6 net rating when Conley and Gobert are on the court together, uh, a 117.5 offensive rating and a 111.8 defensive rating. Having the synergy that they clearly built together in Utah, I think is playing real dividends for the Minnesota Timberwolves as they try and figure out how all the rest of this fits, right? Like you have pieces of all of this that have real synergy, right? Like you have the Conley-Gobert piece of it. You have Gobert and uh, McDaniels on defense. Yep. You have Anthony Edwards, who I think is building some chemistry with some of the bigs as well. Uh, Nas Reed is a guy we haven't named yet. Like I think Nas Reed offensively, like Nas. some of the chemistry he has with the guards, I think has been really, really strong so far. Yes. But 
there is this like overarching issue that I like continue to have concerns about. And it is Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert fitting together, playing together, everything that goes into that. Uh, when Carl Towns is on the court and Gobert is off the court, they have a plus 3.8 net rating. When Gobert is on the court and Towns is off the court, they have a 0.7 net rating over the last two years. And then when these two are on the court together, they have a two net rating. So right in the middle in terms of like what they are, like it just feels like to me when I watch them, those two are not lifting each other up. And it does feel like to me that Towns is the one that's getting kind of lost in the shuffle. Do you think that's fair? No, I agree. And I think it ends up becoming just Towns hate. And I, I think Carl Anthony Towns is extremely talented, obviously. And so I, I just can't help but wonder, because here's the thing. Once the trade deadline passes, Sam, this team is kind of locked in moving forward for the next couple of years based on the salary cap and what guys are owed. Go- Gobert's 40 plus has a player option for 25, 26 that I would assume he takes. So he's locked in. Anthony Edwards is going to jump to 35 plus and maybe more if he makes all NBA. It could be close to 40. Nas Reed's 13 plus player option, 25, 26. McDaniel's about to jump to 22 plus. And then Conley and Kyle Anderson are unrestricted free agent. Right now you have Cat at 36, but he's about to jump to 50. So my question is, if you bring him back, your team has so much on the books, especially with the new CBA. This is your team. So do you think this team, this iteration can win you a championship or are you actually better off as crazy as this may sound moving cat at the deadline to open up some flexibility and maybe in some ways maximizing Rudy Gobert on the roster? I don't know. It would be hard to do, especially if they're first, second or third in the West, but I don't know if I want to sign up for this iteration for the next three or four seasons because you're just tied to it money wise it's hard. Cause like, again, like I don't want to focus on like hating on Carl towns. Because yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not at all. Like it's working right now and like things are yes. fine. But again, like this is a team that with Anthony Edwards, Carl towns with the way Mike Conley is playing, like it feels like they should be better than they like are on offense. And plus this is like with them making shots, like they've made 37% of their threes. What happens if that changes? Like there's still, I don't know. Like it feels like Carl Towns, like what he's going to bring is really high level three point shooting and the ability to bail you out late in a possession by getting to the foul line or something like that. Right. And he's not really making threes at this point and he's definitely not getting to the foul line. Nope. So the, the answer is like, look, I would explore it, but I don't know what the answer is, I guess. Cause like if I'm the Knicks, like I don't really want Carl Towns. Like I'm waiting to see how things go other places. And then maybe like if that's the guy that's available, that's the guy that's available. Right. Um, but like if you're the Timberwolves, I think you probably have to like hold status quo for now until you learn more about what this team is the, and the big problem is that I can't find who like, I can't find the trade as much yeah. as anything yeah. like for towns. No, I, it, I actually don't know what it is. No, it, it isn't. It's just his contract right now is a little easier. Like 
it's only 36 million right now. So if you traded it before the deadline, the amount of money you'd have to bring back isn't as much, which again would clear up the books a little bit because he's about to jump next season. And so you want to obviously put that money on the book. So it, it's just interesting. I, I was going through it, listening to some other pods. I, I love Keith Smith and he's always breaking this stuff down. And so it's just like, they come to a crossroads where you either move towns, open up a little bit of flexibility and move forward with Ant, McDaniels, Gobert, or you keep towns past the deadline and you're essentially locked in with this team and you're getting really, really close to being whatever the second apron or whatever that is. And we know how hard now this next offseason that's going to be for teams because all of those things kick in now for the second apron teams. If you were Orlando, would you have interest in Towns? To play him at the five? No, I'm good, Yeah, man. and then have no. like Paulo and Franz. And then just you're trading Wendell in that move then? Yeah, like maybe you flip him to a third team kind of thing. I don't think I would do this for what it's worth. Like I'm I'd just like the to find... I'd like the young Magic roster right now, man. Yeah, I, I want to see what these guys can grow in. Because if those guards pop, you really have something. Because you have Franz and Paolo. We've talked about Wendell Carter Jr. and just being a very good player. Those guards can really, really defend. They can really defend. If they really figure out how to shoot and score and, and those things, because they're young still, and I like Anthony Black, now you really, really have something. I don't think I would mess with that chemistry right now. Not yet. Not right now. I wouldn't either. If you're the Pelicans, would you do something to get Towns thinking that you have Zion? You could do something like that. Ingram. And get like a floor spacer for Towns. Or get a floor spacer for Zion. I'm sorry. Yeah, I might do that. That's a little more interesting to me. I don't know what, you, like, money-wise, man, they would have to be skyrocketing, though. You would skyrocket after this season. Like, no questions asked. Like, it would be a real problem. But it would have to be, like, Jonas and, you know, Herb Jones and stuff, basically, is the way that you make the money work there. And I'm not saying that I would do this. I probably wouldn't if I was the Pelicans. I'm just trying to, like, f- the Pelicans are really struggling offensively right now. And... I'm trying to come up with like different solutions. Kind of, he's a nice fit next to Zion, right? That's kind of the like a floor spacing five man next to Zion. At least offensively, that makes sense, right? He likes the post a lot, which would be my worry. But yeah, like, uh, so who do we got here? We got D Rock in the comments. The Brooklyn Nets should trade for Towns. Honestly, I kind of like that. That's interesting to me. But again, you're okay. So let me ask this: Would you? Do you think Towns is better playing at the five or the four? Because like you trade him to the Nets, he's going to play the four, right? I mean, you run into similar issues, but you just like not resign Nick Claxton, I think would be. Claxton's a little bit more mobile and versatile defensively though. Like that you could, you could do some more interesting things with Claxton and then, and Towns than you can with Gobert and Towns. And by the way, like Brooklyn's, Brooklyn's issue so far has not been offense. It's been defense. Like they've, everyone talks about how good this uh, roster is defensively, right? And they're 24th in defense and they're eighth in offense right now. So I don't think I would do this if I was Brooklyn. So uh, the the problem is that like that number getting up into the 50s next year is just like really hard to bring in. It's really, really hard to bring in. Scott Schmitz brings up Memphis as a spot. I don't know if I see that either. But again, like we're we're now shifting away from 
is Minnesota a contender? I still have yet to answer this question. I think they're a legit, like, like I think I would take them over the Clippers right now. I think I would take them over. Let me go through it. I got, I got them here. Nuggets. Yeah. No, right. Nuggets. No, for sure. Yeah. The Mavs. Nuggets are awesome. Uh, maybe. Yeah. I put, I put maybe cause I, I like what they're doing. The Rockets. Yeah. Warriors. Yes. Mm, yes because we don't for right now yes because we don't know what's going on with Wiggins and I'm a little bit worried about the clay athleticism stuff so I would have them ahead right now but like same tier and could very easily move ahead I'm with you I'm a little nervous about clay and I said I thought Andrew Wiggins needed to really step up for this team to like reach their ceiling and he hasn't thus far thunder yeah they better uh yes for this year kings yes lakers that's a yes right now Uh, right now yes yeah right now yes pelicans yes sons we need to see this team at full strength it'd probably be no for me but like i have no idea what the sun seems looks like at full strength yet yeah I put maybe, and then you already said the Clippers. Who, like I said, we. I mean, my we God. have no idea. Yeah, what a mess right now in LA. I want to. I want them to play those guys in pairs. For what it's worth, I know we don't need to talk Clippers. I just wanted to let's just split them up, and we'll play Paul George and Russ together, and we'll play Kawhi and James Harden together, and we'll just go two in, two out, and see if that works. That's my. That's yeah. my. That's my idea for the Clippers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, they're in the top four somewhere is basically where we're at with the Timberwolves. Like, this is a legit top four team. I think they're a playoff team. I don't think they're a play-in team. Like, I think that this team is going to be a really, really good regular season team, which, by the way, is what we thought coming into last year, that they were going to be a great regular season team. And we'll see in the playoffs. Now, the difference for them in the playoffs now compared to last year is that they have Anthony Edwards. And, like, Ant looks like a real dude now in terms of what he can bring. So. Whereas last year coming in, we were like, well, let's see what Anthony Edwards is. Like, you know, it might take him four or five years to get to where he's going to be great in the playoffs, not next year. He he's I think he's ready right now in the playoffs, is where I I'm agree. At. And not just scoring the ball. Again, that game that I referenced earlier, he had three really nice playmaking possessions where he distributed the ball for teammates to get buckets as well. And that's a huge part of of being that dude in the playoffs. Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break and then we will dive into overreaction number three. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that 
it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, Bryce, here we go. Overreaction number three, the Houston Rockets are a legitimate playing team this season in the 2024 NBA playoffs. So far, the Houston Rockets are five and three. They have a top 10 defense in the NBA. They have the 11th best offense in the NBA. They're playing at the slowest pace in the NBA. We'll talk about that a little bit in terms of why I think that's the case. And they've been quite good. They've won five in a row. Things seem, seem to be going well. So far, their schedule, the Orlando Magic, the San Antonio Spurs, the Golden State Warriors, and then their wins, the Charlotte Hornets, two wins over the Kings without De'Aaron Fox, the LA Lakers, and the New Orleans Pelicans. Where are we at with the Houston Rockets, Bryce? I really like the Houston Rockets. I think they look very good. They're fun to watch. I mean, they put a lot of money into this offseason to be better. I want to ask you about that and where expectations should be, like what is fair to expect from a team that spent this much money in the offseason where you they they should be i'm struggling a little bit i i can get them to 11 pretty easy sam i'm having mm. a little bit of trouble getting them all the way into the plan I'm, I'm having a little trouble finding that last team but there may be a team you know injuries are always a thing teams fall apart those type of things and so i, I probably shouldn't nitpick that so yeah i, I think this is a real thing i I'm, i would be comfortable buying this one because I like how they looked. I know in the, my notes for one of the games, I was so impressed with just some of their defensive rotations and how they were moving and they looked 
like the chemistry with them defensively looked really good. And you have some good defensive players. You have some good offensive players. Seems like things fit. You have some young guys, the vets, all that. It's it's all kind of worked with a really good coach. And so, yeah, I, I'm cool buying this. I, I can't tell you exactly the five teams they make it over, but four for sure and, and add in a fifth one. I am buying that they are way better. They are way better. The the level of attention to detail on defense is real. Like that that has gotten so 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 much better to where when you watch them, you're like, okay, they actually know where they're supposed to be now. They have a competent scheme that they're running now. Like they will switch sometimes. They will play. You know, they they do different things based on like the team they're playing. It feels like now, whereas previously they were super predictable. And Steven Silas had, you know, frankly, no idea really felt like what he was doing out there in terms of uh, accountability and in terms of, you know, bringing these players together. I will note that I think Steven Silas did not have veterans like Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Vliet and Jock Lawndale to, and Jeff Green to rely on and everything. I think that's a completely fair and reasonable thing for somebody to say in defense of Steven Silas, but the coaching, you know, we talked about coaching downgrade in the first overreaction here, the coaching upgrade from Steven Silas to Ime Yudoka is drastic. And the biggest place where I see that is in transition. Like the way that the Rockets are playing, they're playing very deliberate, slow basketball. And in my opinion, that's not based on the fact that they don't have like transition dudes, right? Or they want to like, you know, run everything through Alper and Shangun. And we'll talk about Shangun here in a minute. It feels like to me, the reason that they're doing that is because they want to be able to competently pick up everybody in transition, make sure that everybody is accountable, make sure that everybody is you know, in a good positive position. Uh, they don't want to be in odd man situations in transition. They don't want to have to have guys making decisions on the fly with all their young players in transition. And because they aren't giving up, it feels like a crazy amount of transition points on defense. They're letting their half court defense set. And that's creating real competence in terms of what their defensive play has been so far. I really like the overall scheme, the strategy. I think it's all been fantastic. I also want to call out Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks has been unbelievable this season. Uh, he has been utterly fantastic. You look at his numbers. He's only taking nine shots per game. Hand up. I thought there was no way on planet Earth Dylan Brooks would only take nine, 10, 11 shots per game. I thought he would come here. I thought he'd take 15 of those things. I thought he'd be like, all right, I'm going to be the same guy I was in Memphis. I'm going to go. I'm going to attack. He's only taking nine shots per game. He's shooting 55% from the field. He's only made, or no, he's shooting, where are we at? 55% from the field, 55% from three, uh, 85% from the line. And he's been unbelievable defensively. He he has taken on so many disparate, different, different assignments from having to play like physically on Zion Williamson from time to time in that game to playing, you know, on Brandon Ingram from time to time. Both of those things are very different. Uh, you look at some of the different uh, guys that he had to guard on the Lakers, right? Like he was fantastic in that game. Dylan Brooks has been great so far. He has completely brought everything the Houston Rockets hoped that he would bring when they signed him to this four year uh, $90 million contract. 
And people can say what they want, but at the end of the day, teams need tone setters like that. And I know it kind of became a thing last year and whatever, but mentality is contagious. And at the end of the day, Sam, some players just don't have it. Again, I don't like I was this way. I I got confidence from those players around me and their confidence, their swagger, their demeanor, and especially in the toughest moments. I looked at them and I saw the look on their faces and how they were approaching a game or an opponent or whatever. And they made me feel better about what I was going to be able to go do because I saw the confidence and the body language they had. So yeah, I, I know we like to, you know, Dylan Brooks gets it a little bit, but at the end of the day, like you said, he's been incredible. I mean, I don't think he's going to shoot 56% from three all year or from the field, but through how many ever games right now, eight games, he's been awesome. I think if you want to look at something, 56% from three for him, Jay Sean Tate, who I think has also been really good off the bench, yep. he's shooting 44% from three. So it'll be interesting to see how those numbers trend. But again, I, I like this team. Fred is doing what you brought him in to do, like whatever you want to think about the dollar value. He kind of sets the tone. You've talked about his defense going back to earlier in the episode. And yeah, looking at the field goal attempts, Jalen Green is at 15, which means he's not just chucking and he's been very efficient, but he has the most on the team. Shingun's still getting 13. JSJ is getting almost 11. So the guys that are younger on this roster that need that offensive usage are still getting it. And I think I was with you. I didn't want to see Fred and Dylan Brooks come in and they just take all of the offensive usage and we forgot about JSJ or running the offense through Shingoon. And we haven't. And so I think it's been a really good job by the coaches, by Udok uh, and, and the coaching staff. And I like to see it thus far, what we've seen. Last season, the Houston Rockets were 29th in turnover rate offensively. This season, they are 7th in turnover rate offensively, and that's the Fred Van Vliet difference. He has an 8.4 to 1.6 assist-to-turnover ratio right now. Like that, That is going from Kevin Porter Jr., who, in my opinion, cannot run an NBA offense, to Fred Van Vliet, who is super competent, super confident, knows exactly where he needs to be at all times. The last guy we haven't really talked can, about can I, can so I, far. Quick yeah, point. Like, we've given love to Mike Conley for the Timberwolves and Fred Van Lee for the Houston Rockets. And what they've done for offenses in terms of just settling it down, running the show, getting people where they're supposed to. So when you look at the box score and you're like, oh, well, they only average this. Like, neither of those guys just blow you away with the box score. But – there's still a lot of impact that goes way beyond that. We've given love to both of these guys that are veteran point guards that have made an impact on that end of the floor without averaging 25 points a game or 15 assists a game or something crazy. They just, they do what needs to be done. They understand that stuff. The obvious other piece of their ball movement is the last guy we have to talk about is Alperin Shangun. Uh, Alperin's been awesome. He's averaging 19 points, eight rebounds, six assists versus only two turnovers per game. What have you thought of Shangun uh, and his ability to basically be the hub of this offense? Like they're utilizing him as the guy that makes most of the key decisions. He and Fred are the two man game here that are making things happen. 
Yeah, I like his game. Um, and I, I want to say too, and I know you did a whole breakdown on his defense. I kind of like his positionality and he can play with verticality. There's obvious limitations with how much he can mm-hmm. actually get off the floor, but I think he does enough on that end. And I, I like to see the improvement there. He, he has a floater. They, you know, we talked about it earlier. I saw some inverted ball screen stuff in the game I watched when they played the Warriors. I love whenever you have a guy that can do that and then you do it with that guy. And then one things I just fall for is eye manipulation. You know, players who move defenses with their eyes, get teammates open with their eyes. And Shingun is absolutely a player that does that. So I think he's been incredible. And whenever you can be the hub of an offense that provides a ton of value, he's one of those guys. I don't always know how he finishes around the basket sometimes, but he gets it done. There was another game. I believe is it may have been like the first game of the year early in the year, but he was hitting Dirk fadeaways. I would like to see the three point percentage continue to grow, but that's some long-term stuff. I've been super impressed. He's been really good. I know Rockets fans have felt like he was underappreciated and now that they're better and people are watching this team, I think he's getting the love he deserves. And and so I don't think they should be frustrated by that anymore. Yeah, I love as well what Yudoka has done to try and insulate some of the defensive limitations. I think he's been totally fine so far on defense this year. Like, I don't think that he's been carrying the load in def- on defense in any way, shape, or form, but he's been reasonable and he has done his job in a real substantial way. And I love that Yudoka has made it so we're going to tie Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Vliet to him. Like Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks and Alperin Shengun have played 185 minutes. Oh, by the way, those three playing together on the court so far, 23.2 net rating when those three are on the court together. Alperin Shengun without Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks on the court, uh, they've only played seven such minutes this season. Uh, They've only, uh, it looks like so far, Shengun has only played 24 minutes this season without Fred Van Vliet, it looks like, of his time on the court, which is pretty wild. Uh, that, that is a very, very low number at this stage of the season to have only played 24 minutes. So keep him on the court with Fred. I think it's super smart. He offensively is just so smart. The way that he's reading the court, the way that he is completely moving guys. He hit like a couple of Dirk fadeaways, like the floater is there. Yep. Uh, the interior touch is very real. Also, I think the floor spacing piece of this is very helpful and valuable for him. Uh, It feels like the Rockets are getting guarded away from the rim right now. They have taken league average number of threes on a per possession basis, and they're making them at 37%. Uh, You look at what they were last season. uh, They did not take a league average number of threes, uh, and they made them at a 32.7% clip. So creating that space for Shangun to operate on the interior, I think has been really helpful uh, for him as a scorer. I think that he is somebody that is creating a lot of those catch and shoot, easier three point opportunities by drawing defenders toward him and then using his intelligence to kick out. Shangun has been phenomenal. I think that there is like a, I I don't know if I'd have him as an all-star right now in the West, but like if someone wanted to make that case, I would listen to it at least. I want to ask one question before we move on or, or to something else with the Rockets. 
Do you think it's fair if I said to you, this should be the expectation for this team to make the play in? Because Jalen Green is in year three, a former number two pick, and has played 143 games coming into the season. Shingun is in year three, number 17 pick, played 147 games coming into this season. JSJ is in year two, former number three pick, played 79 games in his rookie year. They spent 80 plus million dollars just on contracts this season for Van Vliet, Brooks, Lundell, Green, Bullock, and brought in Ime Udoka. Is it unfair for me to say like, I kind of expect, or this should be the expectation of this team? Is that unfair for me to have that view of, yeah, this should be a team that finishes at least 11th if those 10 other teams really ball out the rest of the season, or it is a team that should get into the plane. Is that, is that, is that unfair? Cause I find myself going, this kind of was my expectation for this team. The problem is the West is so loaded yeah, yeah. that there, there are just so many good teams. Like there are so few teams that you can say, we're going to win when we go in every night. Like I think Portland is probably one of them, especially without Brogdon and some of the other guys that are out for them right now. But like, other than that, like everybody's competing here. Like Utah, we're going to talk about them in a minute here. Utah's trying to win. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I find it kind of hard. Uh, okay, fair. I, I think the expectation for them was to be a lot more competent and to look a lot better. This team won 22 games last year. To get into the play-in, it might take 38. Like that'd jump. be 16. It's a big jump. That'd be huge. That'd be an yep. enormous, enormous jump. So yep. look, I, I think that like if they get to 33 to 35 wins, that's a great, great, great jump. Like that's a huge improvement. If you get to 35 wins this year, that's a 13 win jump with Van Vliet, with Dylan Brooks, with young guys stepping up. That That's my expectation is like 35 wins. And I said that I took the over or I would have taken the over on their win total over under. So I'm basically where I'm at. Yeah. No, I mean, they're, and they're going to do that. It looks like they're definitely going to be more competent, competitive night in night out and really make teams work. So I, I don't, I don't want to put a damper on what they've done. That, that wasn't my intention. It was just like, maybe that was just me looking at the off season moves going, man, of course this team's going to be much better. So that, that was why I wanted to ask. Okay. Overreaction. Number four, the Utah jazz currently have the worst backcourt in the NBA. Uh, the Jazz right now are three and seven. It has not been great to watch the Jazz. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been quite disappointed in uh, everything I have seen from them to this stage of the year. I think part of this is just bad shooting luck from like Jordan Clarkson, but Everybody else is knocking down threes, right? Like John Collins has his stroke back. Lowry Markinen is making 45% of his threes on nine attempts per game. Taylor Horton Tucker is shooting well. Kelly Olenek is shooting well. Everybody but Keontae. Uh, Keontae is not yet. Keontae is not shooting well yet. And Jordan is not shooting well yet. But like, to me, it's more these dudes over dribble in the backcourt all the time. Uh, the turnover rate is dead last in the NBA right now. They have, they turn it over on nearly 16% of their possessions. And it just feels like just guy like Taylor Horton Tucker is like the prime example in some ways. Like it just feels like guys dribbling out there every time I watch them. And it's not the guy that I want to be dribbling, which is Lowry marketing. 
Yeah, he's good. He's fun to watch whenever you turn on the jazz. Is Lowry a... is like Lowry is my god, unbelievable. He he is so goddamn good. He is there is a real case he is a top 15 player in the NBA. He, he has been unbelievable to start this season. He's 45% from 3 on almost 10 attempts a game and he also pulls down almost 9 rebounds. I kind of was impressed with what he was able to do off the bounce. That was a little better yeah. than what I realized in one of the games I watched just cuz we always talk about his shooting. Here's my is there, like, a, their, their, their defense, like people will look at their defensive rating and go like, oh yeah, they're like, they have the worst defense in the NBA right now. They were hoping to rely on defense. Like that's why this is happening. I can't like even get a full grasp on their defense right now because the offense is like the main issue because it's turning the ball over so much that it just feels like it's creating so many of these like odd man opportunities for a team that wants to play like big in the front court and be able to like contest the basket and, and like have Walker Kessler and Larry Marketing as seven footers. And like John Collins is going to be in there. And like, it, you, you can't turn the ball over that much and play essentially three guys that are six foot 10 or taller who are like bigs quote unquote, and turn the ball over that much and like plan to have a good defense because you're just going to get killed in transition every time. Do they have a starting guard on their roster right now? No, they don't. And no. when you when you text me this, I was like, there's no way this is true. I can find another team that has a worse backcourt than them. And then I started going through with it. Like, I only came up with six or seven teams that I think – I don't even know if you can make legitimate arguments or have legitimate conversations about it. They're, they're all backup guys. Clarkson is kind of what he's known for is coming off the bench. Keontae's a rookie who they're playing at point guard. And while I kind of like that, I like it a lot better if he's playing point guard in the second unit where he doesn't have as much pressure and isn't tasked with as much in that scenario. Taylor Horton Tucker, you've talked about Chris Dunn. Uh, I'm forgetting one as I go through the list, but like, it's just, there's no starting guards on the roster. And so I don't, I tried to find another team. I couldn't find one. So I, I didn't forget one. That was all four of them. So uh, I guess I'm buying it. I, he, the Nets, are they worse than Cam Thomas and Spencer Dinwiddie? Uh, not with the way Cam Thomas is playing right now. The Wizards, Jordan Poole, Tyus Jones. That that one's close. I think Tyus, I, I think Tyus would be the best guard on the uh jazz right now and like if you put tyus on this team and like limit the turnover problems like they they, i think they should try and trade for tyus jones like do that at least and and that was like the wizards like "Eh." and then it's like tyus jones is really good i i don't think that this is even realistic so please don't freak out magic fans but like Suggs and fultz are so much better than these guys it's insane The the pistons as somebody brings up in the chat are starting killing hayes here's the other thing they also have cade cunningham I'm sorry, but Cade Cunningham, Cade at, at least in terms of what, he, at least there's star potential there. Even if you don't think Cade has been great all right, like, and this was kind of jokingly, like the Lakers started D'Lo and Cam Reddish the other night, like maybe, but again, like that was just. That, D'Lo that, would be the best guard. Yeah. Honestly. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of just joking now. Like I couldn't, I can't even be serious with the Blazers. Number three overall pick is hurt and they're still starting Malcolm Brogdon and Shaden Sharp. So none of it. And you're right. 
and Killian has been de- halfway decent recently. So even then, like it just there's I can't find a realistic argument is my point. It was so bad that I just kind of had to come up with ones like, oh, I'm gonna throw this out there. Just ha ha, you know, whatever. It's not even I don't think it's relatively close. And I didn't realize that. till you asked the question. Yeah, it, it's been really, really rough. Uh, to watch the Jazz so far. Uh, They have given up more points in transition defensively than any other team in the league, just to kind of go toward my point of what's happening, what what the issue is with the turnovers so far. Uh, The turnovers are leading to that many transition opportunities, and that has to change. Absolutely has to change. Uh, It's a rough aesthetic watch right now. It's a rough situation in terms of wins and losses right now i mean what they need one of two things to happen they need to make a trade yep which i'll understand that if they do mm-hmm. uh or they need like keontae george to turn into a real dude and keontae is a rookie who yeah he had a great summer league but there were real flaws at baylor last year when he was running the show, he was an issue with turnovers uh, when he got his chance to run the point and his shooting would waver, uh, especially off of pull-ups. Right. And a lot of his summer league knockdown shots came off of the catch. He was a little bit more comfortable. It seemed like knocking down shots off the catcher are like a one dribble relocation. So I'm not saying to be lower on Keontae George. I'm just saying it might take a good amount of time still with Keontae. I think they need to go get like an adult guard who can really distribute, make plays, not turn the ball over, just be effective in some way, shape or form. Uh, Make like a consolidation trade. Honestly, a guy that would like really help them, I think would be Malcolm Brogdon, like for the Blazers. Uh, I don't know if the Blazers want to move him necessarily. seems like they do want him around, but the Blazers have been, a more interesting watch to me than the jazz this year, because yes, their offense in theory is worse. And yes, like they also have their own issues with turnovers, but it does feel like they at least like get in and out of sets. Like interesting. Their biggest issue is just that like they've made 30% of their threes so far. Like the jazz have not been very good on offense and they're like drilling threes every time down the court. Yeah, I guess I thought the natural progression for Keontae would be prove your ability to score the basketball at a consistent level, which, like you said, was an issue with consistency in his freshman season at Baylor. And the percentages aren't great right now in the NBA. Before then, you tried to task him with also running it off. To his credit, Sam, the, the assist-to-turnover ratio isn't bad right now in his games. It's actually pretty decent. But I guess in my head, that was the progression. Hey, the first few years... Let's really solidify your ability to really score the basketball. And he has one of the most beautiful jump shots you'll ever watch. And then we'll slowly start tasking you with being a primary creator, point guard, quote unquote type of stuff. Whereas now he's the starting point guard for this team, nine, 10 games into his rookie season. That wasn't what I saw as a progression. Maybe I was off with my eval, but that seems less than ideal. Maybe, maybe he'll crush it. Maybe he'll surprise me. I hope he does, but. Yeah, this is just, they need to go get guards. Like, please go make a consolidation trade for a guard because uh, this is a team that like gives up their draft pick this year. If they finish 
I think outside of the top 10 and there's those uh, that that pick extends out if they end up picking in the top 10 again this year. And this is a draft where you don't want to pick in the top 10, as we'll talk about here momentarily. <laughs> uh, maybe there is a guy like maybe Isaiah Collier is good enough to where they want to go get a guard. Like Isaiah might be fine, but yeah, I think that they need to uh, go get a guard. Like yeah. uh, someone brings up Monte Morris, shout out Dougie T in the YouTube comments. Monte Morris makes a lot of sense to me. Agreed for them. I mean, but that, that was kind of the idea of why he was in Detroit, right? Was to help yeah. Cade and Jaden and those guys. And you know, it's, it's a crowded backcourt. Trust me. I understand that. And he hasn't played yet. But that was the idea of sending him to Detroit or Detroit trading him was to do the same concept. But yeah, it's a great call as a just as a name to, that would help that backcourt. Yep. Question number five. Through two games, only one of which was against a reasonable team. Isaiah Collier is solidifying himself as a top three prospect in the 2024 NBA draft. Uh, Bryce, I love what I've seen from Isaiah Collier so far. I think Collier has been... Fantastic. His ability, Isaiah Collier's ability to transition speed into power, back into speed, back into power is unlike any other guard in this draft, to be sure. Uh, his ability that to have that last step acceleration, I think, is the critical piece of Isaiah Collier. Isaiah Collier has significant last step acceleration that allows him to just go through guys whenever they contact him at the rim. That is a really underrated piece, I think, of being able to decelerate, accelerate. Having that ability, once you get to the basket, to speed up in order to beat rim protectors to the basket, he's definitely got that. I love the way he's finished at the rim so far this season. Uh, There are other concerns that we'll talk about, but what have been your thoughts on Isaiah Collier to this point? I'll say uh, when I did my kind of just surface level stuff before the season, I turned on his high school film. I'm like, this kid looks bigger than six, three, like, and then I turned on the USC film and I'm like, this kid looks bigger than six, three. So every time I turn on the tape, maybe it's just the way he's actually built and he's still 18. No, he he must've turned 19 here in October. So he just turned 19 last month, but he just, he looked very, very strong in that game against Kansas state. I mean, looked extremely fast in the open floor. He hit a couple of jump shots in that game. So this is to kind of answer your question that I put in my notes. If he can do this, he's top five. He's top three. Easy. I'm not sure I entirely trust the shooting mechanics. We can talk about that in a little bit, but he has smooth looking step back. He uses his strength as you talked about. And then defensively, I thought there was some plays in that game against K-State where he showed some good feel on the defensive end, when to trap, when to rotate out, anticipating a drive and finding a spot to cut it off. There was just a few possessions where I'm like, okay, I I see this on the defensive end from Isaiah Collier. And so I'm very much intrigued. And just to answer the question, I think I am very much in buy mode of he's absolutely in this conversation right now because it's so wide open for me. So absolutely, he's there in the top three, top five, in terms of at least the conversation. So I have a mock draft coming tomorrow. Can't wait. Maybe Tuesday. I think tomorrow. Uh, I filed it. I have Collier too. Uh, I think Isaiah Collier has been absolutely fantastic what I've seen in terms of shot creation this season. I know that you put in the notes that you don't love his 
finishing at the basket in terms of touch more than anything. Can you speak to that very quickly? Yeah. So I think that was the high school film where I didn't see the floater and the scoops and that type of stuff. And again, that was very surface level stuff. Whenever I dove into, I just wanted to get a feel for these guys before they started playing their college seasons. And so there could have been some blinders with that. If I just went to synergy, watch one full game and then, you know, watch some of the finishes around the rim. And so that's where that stuff comes from. I just like to have an idea of who these guys are. I will like, I don't think that showed up as much in the K state game. It's been good. And so maybe it's something he's improved on, or maybe it's something wasn't a real issue coming out of high school. It just showed up in the film. I watched, I just, these smaller guys, Sam, that, I always want to see the touch, the the, the different yep. nuance around the basket because I think that's vital, vital for them to succeed at the next level. Yeah, I think that that's right. I also think that his ability to maintain his balance in the air when he gets contacted has been really impressive so far. And to me, that's like the biggest, if you showcase that you have touch in other places, but you showcase that you have the ability to maintain that balance when you get contacted in the air, you're probably going to be fine in terms of like the finishing around the basket, the shooting. I agree with you. He's made a few really interesting step backs to this point where I'm like, okay, if you can shoot, then you're like definitely a top three pick in this class. Like there's no questions asked. The, Biggest thing for me so far, he's made some awesome passing reads. He's made some really impressive like cross-corner kicks, some really impressive wraparound dump-offs, things like that. And I might be conflating some of the K-State tape with like some of the mega tape this summer that I watched. I'm like kind of all over the map. But his decision-making needs some work. (laughs) I mean, he has 10 turnovers through two games, Sam. 10 turnovers through two games. He makes some... Real choices where I'm like, oh, I don't even really know what you saw there. Like, I'm all for, like, turnovers out of the idea of being creative. But, like, we're going to talk about another guy here momentarily in Riley Kugel who, like, I just don't know what he's looking at half the time. Um, Collier is nowhere near that. He definitely slides toward the highly aggressive side of the decision-making scale. And he probably needs to like tamp it back up just a hair, I would say. But I also like the way that like, it's not all speed with Collier either. He does play with real patience. Like if he gets somebody on his back, he's going to keep him on his back. He's going to play slow in that elbow extended area. And then again, he has that great acceleration first step and last step to be able to get where he wants to go around the basket. So he has that ability to where he can play patient and be able to make plays in the mid range. It's just that there are some things where I think he's going to need to like scale down in terms of aggressiveness. And that's always interesting with guys in terms of if you rein them in, you in some ways, do you end up taking away that creativity and that playmaking? Do they feel kind of handcuffed? And then are they making the ones you really like to see that get you really excited? So it's a very, very thin thin line with those things. And that was out of high school I had. He's had some really, really questionable decision-making and some of the passing accuracy. And then he had also some of the most impressive reads and deliveries with live dribble passes, baseline hammers, and out of the ball screen, which all of those are playing into what you're talking about, the nuance. And he, I get for, you see these guys that look like Isaiah Collier and 
can play at the speed and with the physicality they do. And sometimes then the nuance they play with, the pace they play with gets overlooked. I thought that happened with Scoot a little bit. And I'm glad you've talked about that immediate with with Collier because he's not just a bowling ball. Yes, some of his drives turn into, I'm just going to bully you out of the way. But he also has the nuance and the change of pace that's vital for a player his size to be successful, especially at the next level. I agree. Uh, I would have him as a top three guy in this class right now. Uh, I don't know if it's certain yet. I want to see where the shooting settles in. I want to see where the decision-making settles in. I've liked him enough on defense. Like he's been, you know, aggressive and willing to fight defensively enough to where I'm excited. Uh, But yeah, I would go Collier in the top three at this point. And I would feel pretty good about it. Question number six. Ryan Dunn from Virginia is a better prospect than Riley Kugel out of Florida. I don't want to answer this one. Where do you want me to go? I'll I'll answer it. Yes. Ryan Dunn is a better prospect than Riley Kugel. Um, Ryan Dunn. I have like real worries about the shot. I don't think it's broken, but just like in terms of rhythm through the jump shot and getting his lower half involved, there are real worries as to whether or not he can shoot. Also, Ryan Dunn, I think Ryan Dunn might be the best perimeter defender in college basketball this season. He might be the best defender in college basketball this season outside of like Donovan Klingon, Ryan Kalkbrenner, the supersized centers that are able to just shut down everything around the paint. Ryan Dunn rotates like a madman defensively, but is always in the right position at the right time. There's no like over aggressiveness, despite being that level of madman. He is legitimately switchable at least one through four. A lot of that game, he was guarding Tyree Samuel against Florida and Tyree Samuel is like a college five. He's like six ten and like a bigger athletic dude. Yeah. That uh, he can switch onto guards. No questions asked. Can guard wings, no questions asked. He's a shutdown, real defender on that side of it. On the ball, he had seven steals. A lot of those were like off of disaster Kugel decisions. Uh, a lot of those were just him being in the right place at the right time. Also, a lot of them were him like scrambling and making these awesome help rotations and like making a Florida ball handler uh, like crap his pants as he's driving into the paint, right? Ryan Dunn defensively is everything that NBA teams are looking for from a wing, including that he is six foot eight long athletic to me. If I can teach him to shoot at all. And I think like there's a chance he can shoot down the road. That's a first round pick. Like no, no real questions asked to me. Well, and you said right place, right time. Part of that is because of Ryan Dunn. Like, I think sometimes you hear right place, right time. And you think, oh, he just got lucky. No, no, no. You're saying right place, right time because he is always moving and he is always active. I think I put my, go ahead. Yeah. I, well, it's on offense too. Like he had an awesome late offensive rebound off of, I think of a Reese Beekman miss where as soon as, uh, who was it? It was, um, I forget who was guarding him, but as soon as he saw his man turn his back, he sprinted toward the rim. And was just like, I'm going to go get this offensive rebound and make a play there. He is around the ball constantly. He just knows exactly where to be. But again, it's without like overextending himself and putting his team in a bad position. 
Yeah, no, and that's what, he just act. He seems to be involved in everything that happens. I think that was the biggest thing I put in my notes is he's always the guy. He's always the guy that tipped it. He's always the guy, as you pointed out, that gets the offensive rebound that then gets to the next guy. And so it, it's really impressive. I think what I'm still trying to navigate, what the lessons I'm trying to learn based off what I've done is I think I've gotten pretty good at – good offensive players that don't play defense and valuing that correctly. What I'm still struggling with is the (laughs) defensive guys who don't space the floor. What are the other things they do? Well, how can that be utilized? Everybody says, Oh yeah, you can develop a jumper. There's quite a few examples of NBA guys who didn't develop jumpers though. So I I don't want to just rest on that. I'm still trying to navigate that, I guess, is my overall point. And maybe that's why I'm just like pausing with Ryan Dunn for a second until I can figure out what he is offensively because defensively, he's everything you've said. I got to be able to figure out what he is offensively. And if it's not great, what does that mean in general for NBA draft conversation situations, big boards, all of that stuff? So a big piece of why I worry about like defense, you know, 90% defense prospects, let's call them is because what happens if the defense doesn't work? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. What do you fall back on? You don't fall back on anything at that point. Right. With Dunn, the defense is so translatable and he has every physical tool that you need. Like a lot of these all defense guys, you know, let's bring up Kevin McCuller, right? Like yep, sure. Kevin McCuller is like six, five and a half. Right. Yeah. yeah. If you if you're Kevin McCuller and you're six foot eight, it's a drastically different conversation because you can cover more ground. And Kevin McCuller, I think, has like a pretty even wingspan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like six, you know, six, five and a half with like a six, seven and a half wingspan. I don't think Ryan Dunn's wingspan is even. I think it's pretty long. And at the very least, if he covers more ground than McCuller does. So, like, what if McCuller isn't in all defense guy in the NBA or like an all defense caliber guy in the NBA. Well, that's where the questions start and he's going to have to shoot it. He can pass and he can cut and he can play, make, he can do some other things. I like what I've seen from Kevin McCuller this year, but he's been really good. But Ryan Dunn translates across the board defensively. Like there isn't really anything he does. And he has every physical tool that NBA teams look for defensively is kind of the difference. Yeah. yeah. Like he's really good on that. He's unbelievable on that. And maybe like, do you have any more thoughts on Dunn before we get to Kugel? No, the only other thing I wanted to say is like Virginia has put in some pretty good guys into the league as well. They're not a factory like Kentucky or some of the other blue bloods, but I think a lot of people look at Virginia as a college only program, a system only program. They've there's some truth to that they've also put some dudes in the league that have been successful. And I just, I wanted to shout that as well with Tony Bennett and what his staff has done there. They've done a good job of winning in college. I know there's the NCAA tournament stuff. They also won a national championship, but also putting guys in the league who have then been successful in the league. On the other side, you have Kugel. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what to think. I would No, I know. I know what to think. I I was really disappointed. Uh, for a number of reasons with Kugel. And look, 
I thought this game was going to be really, really hard for Kugel because of the way that Virginia plays. Virginia plays the pack line scheme. They're going to condense the paint. Kugel is a reckless driver, and this is like the team that will bring out the worst in you if you're a reckless driver, right? It was more the way that like, A, there was just never a point where he was like looking at his teammates, right? Like there was one possession where they ran like a gorgeous Spain pick and roll. And Will Richard caught Micah Handlockton's dude as well as you can possibly screen somebody on the backside in a Spain action. And Kugel just has head down, like was driving to the rim and there was nothing anybody could do about it. He had no idea that Reese Beekman didn't tag from the corner. He had no idea that Will Richard was, had just totally freed his man up for Handlockton. It was a wide open lob to the rim. No, didn't even consider looking at it. Uh, there were a number of different ones where it just felt like I'm driving into a crowd and there's nothing I can do about it. Yep. But it was more like that, that was all bad. He like started like talking shit to some dude like courtside at the start of the second half and then like continued to return to him and return to him and return to him and like whatever gets you going, I guess. But like he wasn't really playing well enough to where it was like you need to go back and go back at him. Right. And it was after everything he did, like he'd stare down in the corner, you know, he gets fouled maybe even on that play that I'm talking about. And he stares at the corner, you know, he's on the opposite side of the court at mid court. Uh, I think he made like a pull up or something like that. And then he's like backing up on the opposite side at half court and he's still staring at the guy. And it's just like, cut that shit out, dude. Like I'm all for, like, I'm good with like talking shit. I'm good with, you know, if somebody says something to you, like give it back to them. You got to, you got to do what you got to do on some level to get yourself going. If you're not playing well, you only had two points in the first half, everything like that. But like, you can't keep going back to the well. Like it felt like whatever happened there stayed in his head the whole time, as opposed to I'm giving it back to him. We're having fun. Let's just like go for this. You know what I mean? That that yeah. was the most disappointing part of the tape, I thought, to me. Even beyond the reckless drives into the paint that went nowhere. There's a real difference between enjoying. I tell stories all the time about enjoying those environments, the trash talk from the crowd, student sections, all of that stuff, and getting lost in it, getting engulfed in it, and it becoming a distraction to you and people watching and your teammates and everything else. There's a major difference between those and the difference is, is how you end up playing the game when you're having fun with it and those type of things, you continue to play the game the right way. When you get lost in it, you start to make it about you and that affects the way you play and how you go about things. There were some drives and some attempts that I was just like, what, what, what are we doing? What, what, what? Yeah. there was no plan. And the, the, the thing that makes you excited, then every once in a while he goes in, the broadcast kept saying like, just finish with power. And he went in with some power and a plan and it's like, man, no, 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 don't finish with power. Be patient. So like, that's, that's what, and I said, at the end of the day, if he's going to be a top five pick, like some think or top 10 or be successful in the NBA, he's got to be able to have a plan and play with finesse. It's, he's not going to be, listen, I've watched every minute of Asar Thompson this year. He is a top 10 athlete in the NBA, Sam. He is struggling to finish at the rim in the half court right now because these dudes are huge with great timing and will block your shot if you don't have a plan and you don't have finesse. 
That is a Sar Thompson. I don't care how athletic Riley Kugel is. He ain't a Sar Thompson. I can guarantee you that. So he's going to have to figure out the finesse, the game plan. And I will say, this may be way too unfair. I watch the way he plays and I feel like he's trying to get assists just because he need no someone has told him he needs assists to look good for NBA draft scouting numbers. Like you got to go get three or four assists a game. He's not reading the defense and attacking and kicking. He's just hunting assists to say, there, "Hey, look, I had four assists." Yeah. There's there's no reading the defense. Period. It feels yeah. like at least in that Virginia game. Like I'm excited to watch more, and I certainly will watch more that Florida team. Uh, is talented. Like I've heard good things about Walter Clayton there. I really have liked Micah Handlockton. Hey, Will Richard had himself like, a game too. You talk about somebody that can shoot the ball. Will Richard can shoot the ball. Yes. I think that team is an NCAA tournament team, but like it might involve Riley Kugel moving off the ball a little bit more. And it was rough. It was, uh, yeah, it was. It was I rough. want him to play rough. off the ball. Am I, am I the crazy one? No, yeah. No, he should be playing I, off the ball. I came, like, in, I came into the season thinking that's what he was going to be. Like this, a little bit undersized, but cut off the ball, bang shots. When you get on a heater, do your thing, go crazy. I don't want him running the show. I don't need to see it. I don't think he can do it. I don't want to see it. Well, and like multiple of his best moments in this game, I thought were off cuts. Like he had a really yes. nice 45 cut that led to, uh, like an awesome one-handed dunk, like, uh, you know, where he went off of one foot. He had an awesome baseline cut off of a drive by Clayton where he got a backdoor pass, dunked it. Like, it was super impressive. And Riley Kugel has every athletic attribute that NBA guards have. He is very, he has an immense amount of body control. He plays with power. He's explosive. He's physical. He is, like, strong. He has real quickness. He has a first step. Like, Every physical tool is there for him to look way better throughout the course of the season. But the feel piece of it is so far away based off of that tape that it, man, it's tough. It's really tough. And just some quick context for anybody who like hasn't followed, like why he's getting the, he finished last season, the last 10 games after Colin Castle, there's some injuries. He averaged 17 points in the last 10 games on 50% from the field, 40% from three, only 67% from the free throw line. But even in those minutes, Sam, 1.3 assists to 1.7 turnovers. So even when he was at his best in this 10 game sample that some thought would have got him drafted last year and have him coming into this season with all of this buzz, wasn't because he was getting five assists a game and running the show. He was just getting buckets. I, I just want to see Riley Kugel get buckets, make the smart one more passes, keep the flow of the offense going, yeah. and then I want to see him defend. That's all I want to see from Riley Kugel. And I think that at 6'5", with his athleticism, that's fine. He doesn't need to be this combo-y and a point guard and all of that stuff. Just be a bucket getter off ball. I I, I don't hate it. Yep. Uh just going to take a few questions in the comments. Uh, I have not watched Michigan yet. Uh, have you from YouTube I, user I actually, uh, Olivier Kamwa? I, I've seen that he's played well. Uh, he's on my list. I thought that he, you know, very well was worth two way last year. To be honest, so yes, very well could get drafted uh, this season. Uh, at some point, I will watch Michigan and I be able to either. like fully answer that. 
Uh, let's see here. There were a few other fun ones here throughout the show that we had. Uh, someone questioned top 15 for Lowry Markinen. It's pretty close. Like he's not that far off. Um, any other, any other UVA thoughts from Alex 22? Uh, yeah, look, I had them in the preseason top 25 and the thing I did with CJ and, you know, I'll say that like I was the one that fought for them there uh, is a team that I thought should be there. Yeah, they look really good on defense. They're going to be a top five defense in the country. I still want to see a little bit more in terms of how the offense operates. I like the way they're using Andrew Rohde to run off of actions. I like that Beekman continues to play well uh, as a distributor. I think that they're probably better than they were last season, to be honest. It's just that I think I need to see a little bit more to know exactly where the offense sits. Yeah, I thought Beekman, he flashed some stuff, uh, which he needs to um, for his draft stock. Andrew Rode, is it Rode or Rode? Because somebody told me Rode, and then the broadcast said Rode. I thought it was Rode, but I'm okay. not 100% sure. So I thought he looked good in that game as he's transitioning, you know, making a huge jump up, and he is a, uh, you know, a very good player. And, you know, obviously we talked about what they're going to do defensively and who they have to implement defensively. Beekman is a extremely, extremely impressive defender with great hands. So you add that to Ryan Dunn. And uh, I think it was Buchanan that came off the bench and had a really good game. Yeah. In that Florida game, right? It was a Florida game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shout out Blake Buchanan. He was really, really good in that game. Really, really good. Yeah. So. Uh, when do we start talking about Nikola Topic as a top three pick? When he starts playing I'll, I'll, defense, when he starts playing so defense. I'll, for me, I'll, I'll answer this in a slightly different way. Uh, yes, when he starts playing better defense, that's definitely right. But I think it's when like he brings like full scale game by game consistency. Like I think the games that go viral for Topic are the ones where you know, like against Zadar, where he drops twenty seven points and has ten assists and is like unbelievable, right? Uh, but then nobody looks at like the Burichnost game like the game before where he has nine points on three of seven shooting and turns it over a couple times and they lose. And like, it, you know, I didn't think he played super well in that game, uh, you know, against partisan, they beat partisan, which is great, but he has 14 points on 12 shots and turns it over five times. Right. Uh, but then you go and you look at like the, you know, Beograd game and he has 21 and 10 assists and, it all looks great, right? It all looks sweet. So it's the game-by-game game consistency for me with him where it can't just be the wildly explosive games. It's got to be the, you know, he's going to bring it game after game after game, you know, average your 20 points, you know, eight assists, whatever you're going to do, because that's probably what it's going to have to be. And for the record, I, I do like Topic, and I think the offense is really, yeah. really good. I just, I have, I've texted Sam about this countless times. I have real concerns on the defensive end of the floor with him, but he's obviously probably the biggest riser that we've seen thus far. Yeah. Um, I have him in the lottery to be clear. Like I yeah. really like Nicole Topic. Like I think yeah. he's fantastic. It's just going to take a minute. Yep. Uh, let's see here. Thoughts on Kentucky players. I think Justin Edwards has looked great I'd so agree. far. I, you know, I think, I think he's just done really, really well. I think DJ Wagner looks great. I think Reed Shepard is popped. I don't know if he's an NBA player, but like, I think Reed Shepard looks awesome. So it's really funny. So whenever I watch games, 
I, I start a Google Doc if I'm going to get to watch the entire game, and I list the players. So you know, I had Dillingham, Wagner, Justin Edwards, and then I put special notes at the top if there's a player that just kind of interests me, like the big man from Arizona that came off the bench. I just put a note at the top of that game, just you know, just in case. And I have Reed Shepard was interesting, got after it defensively and scored a bit. So I put him in my notes and I'm only watching for NBA draft purposes when I watch these games. And the fact that he caught my attention that much, you know, I I think he's I'm with you. I don't know if he's an NBA draft guy or not, but he caught my attention as I'm scouting all of these other dudes. Do you know how many stocks Reed Shepard has between two games? I don't, but he gets after it. Nine. Wow. His his hands are unbelievable. Like Reed Shepard's hands are like incredibly, incredibly impressive to me. Uh, I have no idea what to do with him. Like as an NBA prospect this year, I'm guessing he probably just, I don't know, man, he played 30 in that game against like Texas A&M commerce and like was super valuable. I thought like he scored three points, but like was made the right decision every time played great defense. The answer is I don't totally know what to do with Reed Shepard yet, but I like what I've seen. Uh, Antonio Reeves, you know, made a bunch of shots against Texas A&M Commerce. I think he looks like a potential two-way. Uh, yeah, and DJ Wagner, I think, has been, you know, pretty solid to this point. No, I I, I agree. I, I agree with what you said about Edwards. I want to watch Edwards way closer. I want to take a game and only watch him. I've talked about this with you. Sometimes it's hard when you're watching like that Virginia Florida game was tough because I had Kugel, I had Will Richard, I had Han Lawton, I had the Virginia guys and I'm trying to watch seven dudes and take notes on all of them. And Kentucky's a little bit similar, but I want to just watch a couple of games of just Justin Edwards, just focus on him. Like I just watched yeah. a Tyler Smith. I watched G league Ignite, and I only watched Tyler Smith. I didn't pay attention to Holland or Amansa or anybody else. I just watched Tyler Smith. I want to do that with Edwards, especially if we're going to talk about him as a top three, top five guy and really good, a really good feel for him. Yeah. So great. Ape says newest word out of Kentucky is Wagner impressed the most in five on fives among all the players on the court. Uh, for what it's worth, I think I tweeted this a while ago. Uh, the, the impression I got was that Wagner was their most impressive guard uh, in all of their preseason stuff and everything that I was told. I mean, he, I think it's in my notes from the high school. Like he's got real Twitch. Like he's got some real stuff to his game and he's really able to create separation. He's also a little longer than I thought. I thought he got after it defensively. And I know this may seem silly, Sam. I love how willing he is to try to use his left hand to finish at the rim. We just talked about with Google having nuance. We talked about this with Collier, nuance in your ability to finish at the rim. I had it again in the high school notes and I thought it showed in, I think I watched the New Mexico state game. I think that's right. Um, but I thought he showed that again. And so that always, you know, is something I, I noticed with guys, especially those little guards. Yeah. He's super competitive is the thing. Like every time you watch DJ Wagner, you're just like, he is super, super competitive. And that's enormous for those small. You have to be at that level. You have to be willing to fight over the top of screens and battle and scratch and claw. Like that's, that's it. And I, that's the thing I was told. Like he brings like a real level of competitiveness every time he's out there. Um, all right, Bryce, that's all. Can you click on that last one real quick? So this is, we got, this is from my, we got high, 
my high school high plains league like the, this is the school i played in this is the area i still live in as we speak yeah we got uh we got a man from you know class of 2011 the high plains league he's a fellow plainsman we started this with farm talk and we're ending it with farm talk <laughs> with bryce simon my goodness sorry nope. sorry no 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 more movies uh on this show only only talk of steer and cows and uh uh, chicken at some point probably no chicken no we weren't allowed to eat chicken we we were cattle so that's the business so we didn't eat chicken growing up that's it's not there part of the go. family um i had a i i thought about it all week i had this movie quote i wanted to use for the bucks trading for dame and the clippers trading for harden and i just couldn't do it i'll tell you off air because i'm too embarrassed to even say it but i was gonna be so proud of myself and i'm like i don't i don't know if it really fits but I was because I know people uh, are going to be disappointed because I, Sam, when do you watch movies? I I don't even get to watch the trash reality TV with my wife anymore because I'm always watching games. I watched uh, Hell House Origins, uh, Carmichael Manor this weekend with my wife. It was a ride. Uh, it was so my wife and I have watched four of these Hell House movies now. I think that's the fourth one. The first one is very good. The second one is like a student film gone wrong. Uh, the third one was not very good, I felt like. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to watch another one of these. They're just so dumb and stupid. And then this one got good reviews. And I was like, all right, I'm back in. So I told Laura about it. And she was like, yeah, it's fine. We'll put it on. And if it's bad within the first 20 minutes, we'll turn it off. We turned this thing on. This thing is scary as shit, man. It is like super unsettling. It's fucking freaky. There are clowns. It is a wild ride. Hard pass. Um, it is. It is awesome. It was. Uh, it was a. It was not awesome. It was a good horror movie, but I had a great time. Uh, what else being have I watched sc- recently? Being scared makes no sense to me. I don't want to watch a scary movie. <laughs> I don't want to get on a roller coaster. Why do you want to be scared? That shit sucks. So I'm out on all of that. Yeah, I used to feel that way. And then my wife wrote me into it and I enjoy it now. Um, trying to think if I've got anything else. Do you random. watch reality TV? Like, so I'm talking like we watched Selling Sunset uh, all week okay. last week. Okay. Yeah. We got through all 11 episodes. It so is, we're like, yeah, but we lived in LA. Like we lived literally like, okay. In the area where these houses are being sold, like right at the base where all of the uh, not, you know, obscenely wealthy people are. So like Big Brother, Survivor, all those no, ones. I don't do any of that. Yeah. I, we used to, again, now we don't watch them together, but we watch those together. And then she watches like every single Real Housewives ever. And then mm. that stuff is so crazy. It ropes me in. Like all of a sudden I'm watching film yeah, and I'm like, what are these people talking about? This this isn't real life. Know. You know, that. so um, like I said, yeah, tra- so- trash TV at our house. Someone asked, have I seen The Killer? You should watch The Killer, Bryce. It's violent in a way that you don't like. But Is it mind uh, bendy though? A little bit, yeah. Okay. A yeah, little bit. Um, new David Fincher movie. Have you seen Seven? Uh, Fight yeah, yeah. Club. Like, Not Fight Club. I've seen Seven. Uh, Zodiac. Oh, I love Zodiac. That's right. I love Zodiac. Yeah. There you go. The Killer is good. That's on Netflix now. So you'll be able to watch that for free. Uh, or you know with whatever you pay for netflix uh i had uh i went and saw that the killer in theaters because 
I'm just going to go see every David Fincher movie in theaters. I'm sorry. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. My wife thought it was kind of dull and like not for her. And I think that's also a reasonable take because it takes a minute <laughs> to get going. But also I, I loved, uh, I love everything about those kind of movies. So I loved the killer. Uh, I thought it was staggeringly beautifully shot. I thought that Fastbender was amazing. Uh, I also have now been listening to the Smiths for two weeks now. And that's just where I'm at in my life. I'm going full emo, uh, Bryce. Listening to what? The Smiths from like it's the it's a band from England in the 1980s. Uh, kind of like emo, like Manchester punk rock kind of scene. They're a little bit, you know, a little bit emo-y, but also, you know, have that up tempo stuff from time to time that you're hoping for. It's delightful. I uh I listen to a little bit of country. And then if I really want to listen to music, I listen to podcasts mostly, but 2000s hip hop. That's, that's my go-to. That's like it. if I want to, if I want to relive the glory days, Nelly, Eminem, 50 Cent, all of that stuff, some Tupac. And I go to the gym, put on the headphones and I get some jumpers up if I'm, if I'm missing that, that era of the life. So this is, this is glorious, Bryce. <laughs> uh, we're learning more and more about you every day from cows to hip hop to everything. Uh, Bryce, Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. I'm the most unique, boring person you'll ever meet, Sam. <laughs> uh, at Motor City Hoops on Twitter for Pistons, NBA Draft, NBA content, the Pistons polls. If you want to listen to Pistons, uh, me and my guy, Amari Sanko for the second, uh, brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. He's the beat writer over there. We record that on Monday or Tuesday evenings. And yeah, that's it. Uh, it. It seemed like forever because the last one we did was Thursday. You gave me last Sunday off. So I was I chomping at the bit to to get back into this. I am so sorry. I know my voice. I apologize. I'm sorry. It'll be better next week, everybody. I'm really sorry. But um, hopefully it wasn't too bad. But I, I couldn't miss an opportunity to record. So I, I wanted to, to power through it. So for... Later this week, I'll have something in the middle of the week at some point. Uh, I might make you come on and do a mock draft podcast on Friday, okay. which will be fun. You've never done that with me before. Uh, there will be three episodes this week. I got bogged down in mock draft last week, writing it and everything like that ends up being a total mess. Uh and yeah, that's where we're at. Uh, I'll have uh, go to the YouTube channel. I have videos up on uh zion williamson and who else did i do last week i did jalen johnson i did scotty barnes last week as well uh go watch those i'm going to do cam thomas at some point Ooh. and i think i'm probably going to do jalen suggs as well because nice. i've really enjoyed jalen suggs's game for the orlando magic to this point so keep it locked here on the show uh i have a mock draft on the athletic coming monday and I will be doing something, I think, on the like idea of doing a two-day draft and just kind of what people around the oh, think yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we haven't really talked about that. Well, maybe no, we'll talk we... about that on uh, Friday a yeah. little bit. But all right, that's it. Until next time, we'll talk soon.